One thing that I really stand for is women serving in ministry Mm. in all capacities. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community. This series, Meet Your Community, provided an opportunity to meet some of the leaders and their organizations who are working daily to meet some of the pressing needs of our community. Hopefully, our awareness and interest has deepened in ways that encourage us to use our skills and resources to support, volunteer, and help. When this series was in the beginning idea stage, I contacted my friend Aaron Barger, president and CEO of the Food Bank of Northeast Georgia. In addition to agreeing to participate, she provided insightful collaboration for the project. Toward the end of our conversation, she surprised me. She proposed for the final episode that the interviewer become the interviewee. If you know Aaron, you know that saying no to her is not really an option. So, for today's episode, we conclude our Meet Your Community series by turning the table. Here is our final episode with me being interviewed by Aaron Barger. Aaron, we're back together again today. Hey, Frank. And we started this podcast several weeks ago. You were the first one up. But it really started with a conversation earlier this summer. As I pitched this idea to you and asked your help, I very much appreciate you giving me some ideas about how to do this and also suggestion of a few people to interview. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's been a wonderful experience. I've learned a lot and I hope those who have listened have learned a lot as well. But there was one other thing that you pitched in the idea, and in a weak moment, I said yes. <laughs> Congratulations to me. And so tell me what <laughs> it was that you pitched to well, me. Well, I think the listeners will really appreciate um, your graciousness. And when asked about, well, what about the interviewer becoming the interviewee? You decided that that was a great idea, and that's what we're here to do today. It's time for me to interview Frank Granger, and I'm really excited about this. I've added in my own lightning round. Oh, Um, dear. So looking forward to that at the end. Well, see, I was ready for the lightning round questions (laughs) I've asked everyone else. (laughs) That's like Alex Trebek saying, I'm really looking forward to... The questions on Jeopardy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wait a minute. I got to make this a little more spicy for the listeners out there. Okay. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I'm going to ever be. Fabulous. Well, we are friends and brother and sister in the Lord, so it's going to be a good time. Frank, this audience, I think, knows you much better then they're likely to know many of the other interviewees. So can you start by sharing with the listeners some things that they may not know about Frank Granger that you would really like for them to know? Oh, that's a really tough question. Yeah, take your time. I've been here for 34 years, Mm -hmm. and some people 
there may be some people here that know more about me than I know about me. <laughs> Can we interview them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I don't think so. I love it. Uh, well, I can start with maybe a few crazy things. Some, A few people will know this, but not many people will know that uh, I was on the paint crew mm. when I was in seminary. Nice. And I've often told people that I went to seminary and learned a trade and a skill. Nice. As much as I learned about theology. Yeah. But I, I did. I worked on the paint crew for four full years and learned to do all kinds of things. I learned how to plaster. I learned how to hang wallpaper. And those things have come in very handy. I love it. That's yeah. fabulous. So that's one thing about me. Gosh, I don't know, Aaron. What has surprised you from your years of working in ministry? What has been a pleasant surprise from that time? You ask hard questions. I, I thought all of our questions were difficult. Remember when I came in, I was like, who wrote these questions? Oh, wait, I helped write them. Mm. I think one of the things that really surprises me is the resiliency of the church. Mm. And I think I mean that in two ways. I mean that both as an institution mm-hmm. and really what the heart of church is, which is the people, uh, Mm -hmm. the resilience of people. Mm -hmm. Because the church here, having been in one congregation for 34 years, I've lived through seasons that, you know, it may be like Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. We've had the best of times Mm -hmm. and we've had some really tough times. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the resiliency of people and the church to weather those and navigate through that. Mm. I think it's one of the more pleasant and um, inspiring learnings. That's fabulous. And coming from the perspective of you, someone who has chosen to stay and grow in place for 34 years, you know, you've seen people come and go. Yeah. And I think that how church is changing um, in our cultural context uh, seems to increase the rate of people who choose to go rather than stay. Yeah. And so can you share a little bit more about what is the secret to staying? (laughs) Oh, I don't know that there's a secret. One of the things that has been a contributing factor for me staying is that my job and role, while a core of it is very much the same, there have been differences Mm -hmm. in what I've done uh, and what I've been asked to do uh, and serve during that tenure. And so it, there's always been some freshness. There's always been a new challenge Mm. As some things have mm. come along, we reference the pandemic as its own challenge. And of course, that's an obvious one. But there were other challenges. So we've done some transitions here in the life of the church, um, maybe large transitions with staff changes or just some programmatically as we've mm. adopted something new 
or as there was a time where there's a gap mm. and some we needed someone to fill in and bridge. Mm-hmm. So that kind of uh, freshness, some new challenge, mm-hmm. and, and things that have come along have helped made the job not be boring by any stretch. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, mean, I think I, I just want to take a personal moment and, and say you're welcome for some of that because, uh, you know, the call that I placed to you a few years ago, I mean, yeah. like Frank, Frank just needs something to make his life more interesting. So did that help? Or <laughs> was that it's, helpful to you, Frank? It's those kinds of things. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's those kinds of things that keep it fresh. And it also has enabled me to get in touch with some other things that I could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. I didn't really know if I could or couldn't. Mm-hmm. The podcasts have certainly been one of those because mm. I knew nothing about that. Yeah. Other than listening. Right, right. My son really teased me about the first time that we did the podcast. And when he listened, he said, I can tell you put on your NPR voice. Oh, you do have a good radio voice, Frank. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. They had to suffer listening to NPR in the car every time they got in the car. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. So if you wanted to interview some other people to find out more about me, okay. talk to them, you would get some colorful things, I'll I'm sure. I'll take that. <laughs> so thinking about the resilience of the church and the people in it, for me that connects to how I see the church evolving and the people in it evolving, moving away from perhaps a lot of focus on what to be against and what to condemn. Um, Not that there isn't a place for talking about right and wrong, but that often people feel more invited. And and especially if it's an unchurched person, uh, they're going to feel more inclined to try out an experience when people lead with what they're for. So what do you stand for? One thing that I really stand for is women serving in ministry Mm. in all capacities. Mm. And there's a resurgence. Of course, it's never left, but there's a resurgence of voice against that. Mm -hmm. Some of it is a voice that's really against it, I think, from a standpoint of oppression. Mm Mm-hmm. Some come at it because it's just what they've always known, and it's how they read Scripture mm-hmm. uh, in in a more somewhat literal sense mm-hmm. that just says, mm-hmm. because there are places in Scripture that says women are to be silent. But it is one thing both out of my conviction with uh, reading Scripture and its story, as well as my experience. Mm. to stand for is women serving. Mm. Uh, My mother served in the church. When I was in third grade, she went back to work because she had Mm -hmm. been a worker outside the home before I was born. But she went back to work uh, at that point part-time as an assistant kindergarten teacher. Our church had a kindergarten, and she started working there. And when she retired, she retired as Minister of Education. Mm-hmm. So it has always been very natural for me that women were 
a mm. voice theologically and mm. uh, a presence in the service of the church. And I find that confirmed in Scripture mm. and not contradicted. So that's something I stand for. I appreciate that. How how does that translate to action for you, given the interesting context that we're in um, regarding the convention and the, the recent communication around that? What does that mean for you as a ministry leader and for this church? I think it's even more important now to stand with women and to stand for that, and not just to give it voice because of a lot of places within our culture say that it should be so. Mm-hmm. But to do that from an informed standpoint of biblically, we feel like this is accurate. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's very, very important for us mm-hmm. uh, as a congregation to be mm-hmm. a leader in that. This church made possible for women to serve as deacons in 1976. So it, it's one of a few who you would call ahead of the curve mm-hmm. in that. So coming to this congregation, that was something that they chose to do uh, long before I came. Mm. So mm. it felt natural to be a part of this congregation. In the year 2000, this church ordained, for the first time, it ordained a woman to ministry. And it was someone who grew up here. And since then, we've ordained three other women, mm-hmm. uh, one of which is currently on staff. Mm-hmm. Here. Frank, I'll, I'll dive into this just a little bit more because, you know, in our interview, when you interviewed me, we spoke a lot about, you know, my um, work in nonprofit leadership. Yeah. I think given your role, it makes sense to dive in a little bit more to your view of ministry and education and ministry and just how you navigate um, scripture. So can you share how you came to that conclusion about women? And is there a particular story or figure or passage of scripture that for you like drove that point home? Mm. And it, it might be more than one, but I'm just, I'm curious when that hit home for you, and when you're thinking through the issue, what's your go-to from your close relationship with God's Word? Okay, and I will start again first with experience. Mm. I do feel like experience is one of the key value pieces of understanding Scripture and interpreting, because it does have to match with what we read and what our experience is as we look to find how this makes sense. Sometimes in our experience, what we read in Scripture confirms what we've seen and experienced all along. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what we read in Scripture is contradictory to what we've experienced. And so we wrestle with where that comes out, and it's not wrestling with which one wins. Mm-hmm. It's really wrestling with how how do I get to a place to where I feel that I have a sense of this is what God really intends mm. and, and wishes for. So along the way, I had multiple pieces of experience 
where women were either leading or in seminary, where those things were really very much discussed. I went to seminary and started in 1981, and so there were a number of women who were there, not very many Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of ratio men to women, but women who were there of strong conviction Mm -hmm. uh, that they were called to serve in church at all levels. And uh, listening to them and listening to how Scripture was interpreted, beginning to understand that Scripture is not only words on a page, but they were written in a particular context. Mm -hmm. And so learning more about the context Mm -hmm. of of when that occurred. But then there are just stories. Mm -hmm. When you look at all four Gospels, the first people who were at the empty tomb were women. Mm-hmm. The first people who were the witnesses of that resurrection were women mm-hmm. and were entrusted with the message, go and tell. There were people of the Old Testament. One of the judges mm-hmm. was Deborah. Mm-hmm. Paul identifies a number of women who were leaders in the church, one of which was a deacon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so multiple places in Scripture show me where women are not only around the table and listening to Jesus, but who are given the message to share. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense of equality in that uh, men and women are different and distinctions aren't bad. Mm -hmm. Differences Mm -hmm. are really a part of the value that men and women both bring Mm -hmm. to the revelation of God's word. I appreciate you, Frank. When you think about the life of Jesus, our rescuer, Mm -hmm. is there a particular moment in his life that for you defines your faith and in moments of challenge or despair or even in moments of joy and celebration, that is the Jesus that you decided to follow? Ooh, that's a really good question. I like that question. You need to write that one down. I, okay. I would like to use well, that Yeah, I'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> um, let me think. As I start to reflect on it, I have a lot of different images that start popping. Mm-hmm. I love uh, it. In random ways. Yes. From where Jesus calms the storm mm-hmm. to where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, his nurture of children and acceptance of children. So I think in general, as I think of the whole, it is his non-judgmental nature mm. toward others. I think that is one thing that stands out as those things that draw me and really inspire and challenge me mm. to be that openly accepting of people Mm -hmm. 
and yet still have strong conviction and voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't turn folks away. And a number of places where that occurs, whether it is accepting the children when people are trying to shun him, of not letting his challengers get to him, mm-hmm. like that time when he just sort of passes through. They're, they're about, they want to kill him mm-hmm. in, early on in the Gospels, and he right. just passes and walks on through mm-hmm. as if they can't touch him. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is in the Gospel of John, and it describes him as being full of grace and truth. Yes. And so those are two values that I'm pretty consistently asking God to help me find balance in um, as I lead at the food bank and as I mm-hmm. participate, um, you know, partnering with Brian and our family. You know, when is grace leading when is truth leading and how does God want me to convey those so when you hear the words grace and truth does one feel more natural for you and is one more inherently challenging for you oh I find that they're both equally challenging oh all right tell me about it well Grace, Mm. while it is magnetic Mm. and pulls us in, I think one thing for me would be the challenge is accepting it, Mm. of realizing that I can't earn it, Mm -hmm. I I don't earn it, Mm -hmm. and the struggle of I'm not worthy enough Mm. to receive it. Mm -hmm. So it's... I think it is equally challenging because truth is challenging. Both the pursuit of what is true as well as not getting to a place of certitude in thinking I know what's true Mm. Mm -hmm. to the exclusion of others. Mm -hmm. That there's always more truth than I can see or I can acknowledge because I can't grasp it all. Mm. So, that, yeah, I think they're both challenging. Great In answer. good ways. Yeah. In good ways. Yeah, right. I appreciate that. Um, when we think about the, the first and second greatest command, so that second one, love mm. your neighbor as yourself. In your years of experience, in what ways do you see the church? Um, you can speak universally or locally. In what ways do you see the church excelling at loving our neighbor? And in what ways do you think the church really has more work to do in loving our neighbor? Oh, I think there are so many places I could jump off. The first thing that pops into my mind is by tradition, you know, the tradition I come from, has really done well uh, with its passion to love neighbor across the oceans, Mm. Mm. across the world. And I think what is most challenging for us is to love the neighbor that's in our backyard. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Um, Other than, you know, with what I grew up with, uh, there was always that compelling nature to go to people who have never heard. Mm. 
And I think there was a comfort level of the differences of those individuals and cultures because we knew it was going to be different. Mm. You expect it to be different. And the challenging thing is that within our own backyards, we forget that there are different cultures and different understandings of what living means, uh, of what family means. Just go down the list. But we're not just this monolithic kind of culture. Mm Mm-hmm. We're, we're a real mixture here, and I think we're sometimes uncomfortable that not everyone is like us, mm. that lives beside us. Mm-hmm. I think that's where some of the challenge is. That's really interesting. Well, I can pause just to commend. Um, we talked about this a little bit before, but the First Baptist Church has, I think, made its mark in an impactful way by receiving the Our Daily Bread Community Kitchen years ago and making a home for that space here. How has that changed the congregants here? And has that had impact on the people of this congregation? I think it has. As you could imagine, there were questions when we first considered this, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly when the questions came for us to consider being a permanent home and not just a Mm stopgap temporary. Mm -hmm. And it has helped us learn more that we're not as different as outward appearance and clothing would have us Mm -hmm. seem to be. And to see people more as human beings and to get to a better understanding of need. And I think we've grown in appreciation of the value of sharing space that we've been blessed with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we have seen with some of our volunteers, they really get to know the -hmm. people who come here and they call them friends. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, they know them by name, mm-hmm. uh, and all of a sudden they become real people uh, and people of God. Yes. Um, and so I think that seeps into the whole of our congregation to have made us more willing and more open to ask the questions of, are there other things we can do? Has it taken work to get there? Yes, I think so. It's taken some intentionality Mm -hmm. uh, to do that, uh, intentionality to make ourselves available, as some volunteers have. And it's made us work to have to alter some of our schedule with Mm -hmm. how we do some of the things that we do at noontime. Mm -hmm. And we can't do it the same way we used to. Mm-hmm. And we've adapted mm-hmm. quite well uh, because we have events in part of that space at the same time that our daily bread is going on, mm-hmm. and it works quite well. And so, yeah, it does require some work. I um, wonder if that helps clarify 
why there has often been historically an inclination for overseas mission and investment and sometimes a bit of an evasion, avoidance, just a lack of comfort with directly reaching out to people in the community. You've confirmed that it's worthwhile. There are many blessings, but it's not without sacrifice. And it's uh, maybe more than the the sacrifice that is required for a short-term mission when you invite people into your home Mm -hmm. and when you agree to love your neighbor across the street, you are signing up to consistency, right? And it's, I think it's a larger different ask. It is. And uh, it's funny what's coming to mind is um, (laughs) when you bring somebody else new in, it always brings a challenge and you have to learn how to do things differently. There's some things you give up and some things you gain. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about both of us. We, we've we each had time with our spouses before mm-hmm. children and after. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. you bring a child into the home, it's mm-hmm. something you want to do, but you have to learn to live differently. That's right. Um, you, other things are called upon and you're called to do other things that you hadn't planned on sometime, mm. but as you embrace it, mm. you know, there's a huge amount of blessing that's there. It's so interesting that you relate this to bringing a child home because that is absolutely such a great illustration. And to kind of go with that for a little bit, you know, anyone who has brought a child home knows that. One plus one equals something greater than two. <laughs> it sure does. Um, and that uh, that applies to the love in your home. There's an exponential impact yeah. that you can't really explain. Yeah. Um, and I think that Jesus knew something about loving our neighbor relating to mm-hmm. that, that power of the exponent. And that something happens kind of beyond our own understanding if we avail ourselves of that. Yeah, and there's a line that's in John, the Gospel of John, uh, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and Mm. have it abundantly. I love it. And I believe that that's a part of what the abundant life is Mm. as well. Oftentimes, our American capitalistic culture reads abundant life and thinks, ooh, that means I'm going to have a lot of stuff. And have wealth. And mm. I don't think that's what Jesus means when he talks about abundant life. And I think what you speak of with the increase and the exponential increase as we avail ourselves to our neighbor, that I believe is a part of what Jesus means with abundant life. Mm. It is certainly an aid to the abundance of life that those who receive experience. I think it's true for those who are giving as well. Mm -hmm. All right. I have uh, a lightning round ready for you. And some of these are really lightning round questions. And a couple of them, I have to admit, are not as fast. So I'll I'll start (laughs) with those. All right. 
Okay, Frank, you're planning a road trip, and anyone from the Old Testament can come along. Oh, wow. Who would you choose and why? Gideon Ooh, okay. is one. Tell me about it. Oh, uh, well, why there's Gideon? this line of Gideon I've just always loved. He, as God is calling him, Gideon says, I'm the least of the least. Mm. And it has always struck me that Gideon's view of himself was the least of the least, but that's who God went to. Mm. And so I would love to ride along with him and then ask him a little bit about all that stuff with the blanket. Yes. So are you, uh, um, you're on the podcast, so you have to tell me the absolute truth. Did you pick Gideon because you want to plan the playlist <laughs> and not have any pushback? <laughs> I love it. Oh, gosh. Okay. No, Gideon and the fleece. Also, he would have mm-hmm. a blanket. You could go to the mountains. Yeah. Because wait, right. Beecher Mountains. Beecher Mountains is going to be mountains. Mountains, see, I didn't even waste our time with that question. I knew it was mountains. <laughs> Gideon has the fleece. We're good to go. All right. So you're planning a leadership retreat, Frank. Yeah. Anyone from the New Testament other than Jesus can co-facilitate. Who would join you? Ooh. Thomas. Oh, okay. Because Thomas asks good questions. Yeah. He has good curiosity. He he wants to really probe. And that's who I would like to have leading with me. I love it. Man, I love these answers. All right. Now we're gonna we're gonna pick up the pace. Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Luke. Holy Land or Sandals Resort? Oh, that's a gosh. trick one, right? That, it's like, what are you going to say? Minister oh, that's of Education. Like, yeah. See, I put that in. Oh, that, that was a really trick question. That was question. really ornery of me. Oh, I know it was. That's just like, have you stopped beating your wife yet? <laughs> I, I mean, I can't win with that one. I know. I put it in just for fun. Mostly because <laughs> I wanted to see your face. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad there's not a camera. Ah, I love it. So you don't have an answer? Oh, I'm going to have bleeding? <laughs> I tried. I tried to avoid that. that I, I do apologize for that. And I was like, oh, that's going to be fun because we're friends. I'm going to pull the friend. Well, if, if I go to Sandals, I would probably take off my shoes and be on holy ground. Is there a Sandals resort in Israel? <laughs> <laughs> well, Moses had to take his shoes off because he was on oh, the Oh, okay. Ground. I see. I see. Well played, Frank. Country or rap? Country. Salad or sandwich? Got to be sandwich. Salty or savory? Oh, savory. Revelation or Psalms? Psalms. All right. That's the lightning round. Phew. <laughs> did I pass? You did. It was great. You you tolerated my very um squirrely question of holy land or sandals. Um, Frank, as we start to wrap up, when you think about all of your time leading and serving in ministry, is there a moment from your career that you would say is definitive or just particularly compelling about what the Lord has done in you and through you in your life? I don't know that I 
readily pinpoint one moment. If you know, if I had three days to think about mm-hmm. that question, I know I could, it's a tough one. I could probably uh, wrap it into a real story. But across the time, it is uh, that continual kind of moment that occurs in the midst of sadness and tragedy. Mm. You know, it's those moments of vulnerability uh, with people mm-hmm. that are that strangely rewarding kind of moment mm-hmm. because it is those moments when we are at our most vulnerable and to share other people's vulnerability to see the ray of God's hope emerge mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. um, I think, are the ones that are the most compelling, mm-hmm. humbling experiences that I've had. I hear you, Frank. If When you think about the listener who may be struggling to stay in church, they're maybe wondering, why am I still here? or someone who has maybe been away from church or who has never tried it, and they're wondering, should I give it a try? What would you have to say to the the seeker or someone dealing with hurt from church experience about why it's worth a try and what difference it makes? First, I would invite them to go have coffee. Mm. And for us Talk about that, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the questions that they have mm-hmm. or the trauma that they've experienced, mm-hmm. uh, to understand more about that mm-hmm. and to do my best um, to share that church is not a perfect place uh, and never will be mm-hmm. because it is made up of all of us that, Mm -hmm. you know, have our broken spots and imperfections Uh, and that it will fail Mm -hmm. and in church will fail us. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's when people who are willing to take that risk, some of whom who have been hurt by the church can help inform the rest of us and help us make it better mm-hmm. and not make the same mistake again. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. As we close the series, yes. Um, do you have anything to share about what this experience has meant to you or any kind of final words for the audience who has been a part of this series with us? It has been enlightening to hear from people that I do admire and because of the work they do, mm-hmm. but to hear them talk about their why, mm-hmm. what really drives them uh, is very inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that has uh, spoken to me most deeply. Mm. And what I'm hoping is that it will inspire others as they listen Mm. and to ask those kind of questions of how can we continue to be a light of Christ on this corner Mm 
Mm-hmm. How can we be a partner in this community mm-hmm. to continue to bring about transformation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 34 years ago, I, I remember, you know, in those early years, looking out across the back parking lot of our church into this community. Mm. And there was not much here, not much happening yet. And it is a vibrant Mm -hmm. area now Mm -hmm. of Athens. And what is true then is still true now, that what walks across our parking lot is all strata of the community. Mm -hmm. From the poorest to the richest, Mm -hmm. from the most privileged to uh, the most oppressed. Mm -hmm. They all traffic across this parking lot. And I think we have the opportunity to be more than just a pathway. Mm. We might can be a stop-off point on the journey. Mm. That's what I would hope. So final sentence, speaking of the why, how would you complete the sentence, I am here because or I am here to? Take your pick. Well, this is how I've come to understand my why. I put it in a little book that I put together for the boys where I took a letter of the alphabet and made pictures. You know how you do pictures from buildings and all that kind of stuff. I made pictures of all kind of stuff in Athens for each letter and had something with it, a, a statement or a phrase or some of what it means. But under M was motto. Mm. And so motto, kind of kind of my motto, and what is my why, is that thing that parents instilled, mm-hmm. and it's this. Leave it better than you find it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. What did you love most about your mother? Oh, so many things. Uh her mischievousness, uh, mischievousness. Yes, her I love mischievousness it. is one of the things that I love best. And there's a picture that I have of her that you can just see that twinkle in her I eye. I love it. So she would have asked you the Holy Land or Sandals Resort question too. Oh, she could have. <laughs> most definitely. A little mischief. <laughs> I like it. I could tell she has a very unique place in your story. Yeah. And so I thought that was a good place to end as she has definitely trained you up to be a man of God and we're grateful mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, I wouldn't be here today were it not for her mm-hmm. in more ways than one. Well, it's been a delight to be part of the series and thank you for letting me uh, turn the tables on you and um, interview you, Frank Granger. Thanks, Aaron. And I always appreciate you, but This has been so much fun. It really has. Even today has been fun. Ah, right? (laughs) You know it's good when you're on the receiving end and you're still having a good time. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Frank. Thank you for listening to our series, Meet Your Community. If you missed previous episodes, please go back and listen. These leaders and their organizations are doing significant work in our community and their stories are powerful. Beginning on Monday, December the 4th, we will be offering daily devotions for Advent on our other podcast, 
Open to Explore devotions. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life.